Welcome everyone to On Purpose. This is Janice Alpert. So glad you're here to join us for my next episode where I'm gonna be interviewing a very dear and special family friend. Her name is Debbie Kelly and she's a licensed clinical social worker and a professor at Carthage College besides wife, mother, friend, sister, all kinds of things. And hi, Debbie. Hi, Janice. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for inviting me to do this today. Oh, I'm so happy that you're a part of my little uh, journey here. So generally, I just start off by asking, which I'm going to ask you, why don't you tell me a little bit about your family and story and kind of how you began on your little journey to where you are right now? Yeah, so I do sort of trace back my journey towards becoming a social worker to some very early life events that happened in my family. My parents got divorced when I was very young. I was, Uh I think, in kindergarten. I'll be revealing my age uh, to your (laughs) listeners. So this was in about 1973. Uh And, you know, divorce was not like something that lots of people had gone through, you know, in my circle at this Mm -hmm. time or Mm -hmm. at my elementary school, clearly, because what I remember is that, you know, the school reacted as if, you know, this was something that kind of they needed to help me get through, which Uh was probably true. I mean, it was a devastating, I do remember this being a devastating thing for me as a child. I was close with both of my parents. And when my dad had to move out, like that was tough. And so the school put me in a group. I would think nowadays there might be like a specific group for all the kids with divorced parents, but because I was kind of like the only one (laughs) in that situation. I was placed in a group with kids with all different types of problems. You know, somebody, yeah, somebody had like maybe lost a parent to death. I believe there was, yeah, I believe there was somebody that was like in a foster home. Oh gosh. Yeah. So it was just kind of all kids in the elementary school that were facing different hardships. But sounds like really, really hard hardships. You know, I'm not the divorce wasn't, and I'm laughing because when, you know, I got divorced as well. But at that time, they did have a group, a divorce group for kids. And so all the kids that were in the group were from families of divorce versus a death, which is a different thing than a divorce. And yeah, that must have been quite an experience. Yeah, it was. And so I think, I mean, even though I was really, really young, I think what it helped me to understand is that, you know, these kids that I might have, you know, seen in school or kind of known in the neighborhood, you know, they were dealing with things kind of under the radar, you know, that like you might not really realize Mm -hmm. and that there were like many different struggles that children go through that I, you know, I wasn't alone and, you know, having to deal with something difficult and that kind of like everybody sort of had a story. And so I think I became at a very young age, just like sort of attuned to people having different struggles. Mm -hmm. So Um, you kind of remember that even back then at five, six years old, like, oh, I'm not alone, but there are people that have even bigger kind of issues and fish to fry than myself. Yeah. And that you just kind of never know, like what's going on for somebody, you know, in their home lives or whatever, you know, they just kind of go through their days and yeah. So then fast forward to, you know, middle school, high school, another really important thing on my path. Well, first of all, I do want to say that I did always feel like teachers had this really big impact on people's lives. And there was this part of me that was like, I would love to be a teacher, 
but I always sort of thought like I couldn't be a teacher because I had terrible penmanship. (laughs) (laughs) And like as an adult, I mean, that's like just such a crazy thought. But, you know, in the mind of a child, you know, like you think your teachers like teach you how to write. And like, I didn't think that anybody would ever want to write like I did. So that teaching was kind of like, that off yeah. the table kind of uh, that's hysterical because yeah. I was a teacher and I had a horrible handwriting and I did manage to teach, but whatever, that is funny. So at that age though, you thought, oh, my handwriting is horrible, bad penmanship, can't be a teacher. But there was some voice in my head that like, I felt like I wanted to have an impact on people, but okay. teaching like wasn't going to be the thing. So okay. it's ironic that I am an educator now at the yes. college level where penmanship <laughs> is totally irrelevant. So that's, that's a funny like kind of twist to the story, I guess, mm-hmm. but we'll get there. But then in high school, I was recommended by one of our school counselors who was not like my school counselor, like not my assigned, uh-huh. but she recommended me for this peer counseling program in high school, like to be a peer counselor. She like identified me, yeah, as a high school student that other people kind of gravitated to, to talk to, Mm -hmm. or that I was approachable. I didn't really know what it was, but she saw something in me that she thought would make me an effective peer counselor. Wise woman. Go ahead. (laughs) Thank you. Very intuitive woman. I like her. Go ahead. I guess. I guess. Yeah. She probably doesn't really even know like what an impact she had on my life by, you know, kind of giving me that opportunity. And so this was an extracurricular activity after school would learn, you know, different listening skills and communication skills and things like that. And interestingly, there was a community agency in the neighborhood where my high school was called Response Center. Uh It was an adolescent counseling agency. And they were very big on like doing community outreach and like not just waiting for teenagers to kind of come to their office. They wanted to be a presence in the schools and things so that maybe, you know, kids that might not traditionally just like walk through their doors would Mm -hmm. know that they existed. And so they had two of their social workers would be coming to this peer counseling group to like help with, you know, getting the peer counselors kind of trained and Mm -hmm. helping us to help them like identify maybe like at risk teenagers that they might be able to provide services to. Nice. And so, yeah. And so they sort of put the bug in my ear and said, you know, you're kind of a natural at this and, you know, you should sort of think about like going into this type of a profession. Mm -hmm. Just want to say that goes to show you, you never know who's going to impact you in terms of touching something inside of you where you sort of feel like, huh, this sort of has, I have a connection here and I don't know, maybe this will work. So I love that that happened. So go ahead. Just life. Yeah. Just that these things happen in life. So yeah. So then I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison as a psychology major. And certainly, you know, that was great. And I feel like I got a really strong foundation of, you know, understanding kind of human behavior and some of those different things. But my mentors, looking back, and I maintained contact with them because I continued. So I actually became employed at Response Center, even as a high school student. They hired me as like a summer, like high school outreach worker. And so I kind of stayed connected there. And not, and, and not to make um, this, not to interrupt and, or make this be about Janice, but I actually went and did a talk there on your behalf to some teenagers about eating disorders. So it was, a great, did, it was yeah. a great community center and you were a great yeah. asset. Yeah. And right. So that was kind of how it was. Like they thought that like teens could like 
you know, know who would be some people that would like relate to teenagers and be good messengers and things like that. And so I was really empowered at that. I mean, I think I was still in high school when you you came and spoke. So that was really awesome. But so do you my mentors at Response Center. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, do you remember feeling on the inside, like, like something inside, like a spark, like, oh, I think this is good. I'm really like, I love it. Or do you remember at a young, like even back as a teenager, having that little feeling inside, like, oh, this is like really something I think I could see myself doing. I remember thinking, wait, you get paid for this? <laughs> like, I thought this was just, you know what I mean? Like, I thought this was just like what people do. You just kind of listen to people and like, wait, I could actually like have a career of doing Mm -hmm. this. It didn't Mm -hmm. even feel so that's like like how natural it kind of felt. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that quote of like, do something you love and never work a day in your life. Like that's kind of how it felt for me, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm like, it must get harder, you know, once you're out of high school. And it does. I mean, you know, I definitely there have been, you know, ups and downs in my career for sure. And we can talk about some of those. So I stayed connected to the people in Response Center. It was like my summer job, oftentimes when I would come home from college to do various projects for them. And they were all, they all had their master's degrees in social work. Okay. And so they really encouraged me towards that path after my bachelor's degree. And so I did, I applied and was accepted at Loyola University in Chicago's MSW program which I attended on a part-time basis. And I worked full-time actually at Response Center Ah. for all those four years Mm -hmm. that I was in graduate school doing a variety. I was doing a lot of community outreach, a lot of kind of prevention. It was a lot of like alcohol and substance abuse prevention, a lot of pregnancy and sexually transmitted disease prevention. You know, this is when like the AIDS epidemic was Mm -hmm. really rampant. And so we were doing a lot of school-based education on, you know, safer sex practices and and things along those lines. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I just became very comfortable talking to people about sort of sensitive subjects Mm -hmm. and being able to, you know, have those conversations. And it was, it just, I started at such a young age that I think it just became like extremely natural. Mm -hmm. Because not everybody has that talent. So did it still feel like, am I really working here or? It did. Yeah, it absolutely did. In fact, like sometimes I felt like because a lot of our work was in the community, sometimes I think I even struggled with when do my hours kind of start and finish because like it didn't, do you know what I mean? Like I would Mm -hmm. hang around and continue to talk to people after a workshop and it's like, is this just me being me? Is this me like working? You know, it was very trusting, you know, we didn't punch out or punch it, you know, it was kind Mm -hmm. of like nothing was very automated back then, you know. So yeah, it totally felt natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, it felt like I could have, you know, gotten a job at a shoe store or something. And like, I still would have wanted to do this work like as a volunteer. Okay. So that's just reminding all the listeners that that's the feeling that we're kind of talking about when you know you're on your right purpose and you're on your path. It's that kind of a feeling. It, it doesn't mean that there aren't challenges, which sounds like you're going to share a couple, but it's a feeling inside like, okay, I love this. And it doesn't really feel like work work because the internal feeling is so like, I don't even know how do you describe it? It just feels, I still feel that way. And I've been doing it for 40 years and I still feel that way. So anyway, so after you got your master's and- Yeah, so I went into my master's program and I basically was like, I'm working with teenagers. I love working with teenagers. The only thing I ever want to do is work with teenagers. Okay. And so my first placement in graduate school, they put me with preschoolers. (laughs) 
quite a different population. Right, right. I was, <laughs> right, I was trained, but they're not like teenagers. Yes. Right. But I was trained in play therapy at a shelter for battered women and their children. Uh-huh. And it was such an awesome program. My supervisor, we had the title, all of the students, we were called play ladies. Oh. All the kids in the shelter called their like student intern, their play lady. Even they had a male intern and he was also oh, called the play hysterical. lady because somehow like play man just didn't fit, didn't you know, like with what we you were have doing. To be a little more careful <laughs> nowadays, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I guess. Right. But I fell in love with that too. It was a whole new world opening up of like little kids and, you know, doing this therapeutic work through play and uh-huh. symbolic, you know, meanings and and all of this. And so I was like, oh my gosh, like maybe it's not teenagers. And so uh, over time, eventually what I realized, it was like, I just really landed in the right field and it didn't really matter kind of the population. Okay. So my next internship was at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago in their department of psychiatry. So I worked with all ages. And then, you know, I had met my current husband. He was a Wisconsin guy. We had met through like some of my Madison Badger connections <laughs> and stuff. So I relocated to the Wisconsin area at that uh-huh. time. And I've worked in a lot of different areas. I worked in child protective services. I worked in mental health settings with children, teens, adults. And, you know, one thing that I also found is that my career obviously was also very impacted by like my different life stages. Mm -hmm. So I was working at a hospital in Racine, Wisconsin, and I had become kind of like the sexual abuse expert. Oh, wow. And so I got like consistent cases of, you know, sexual assault by the babysitter, sexual assault by the neighbor, sexual assault by the stepfather, you know, a date rape case. And so all of these- Not exactly light and breezy work. Right. But I was good. I mean, I I was, you know, I think I I really studied it. Yeah. And I loved it. And I felt like I was really making an impact. But then once my kids began in like kind of that preschool, like school age, it was really affecting me. Mm Mm-hmm. It was affecting my Every babysitter was probably attacking your kid. Right. I couldn't like, I felt like I couldn't leave my kids with anyone. I I was like, yeah, I was really over the top. Mm -hmm. And so I very consciously at that point made a decision that I had to, you know, kind of switch gears again and focus. And so I went and I did a little bit more in the areas of like domestic violence, working with battered women. Mm -hmm. And for a period of time, I also worked with homeless adults as well. And so that kind of gave me a little bit of a break from some of the intensity Mm -hmm. of the childhood stuff. But there was this one really funny story. So I did do some like part-time stints when my kids were young as well. And so I went into like an outpatient psychotherapy clinic. Okay. And so one of the things coming on to that as part of like the onboarding process, like before I actually was like solidly hired, I had to do like an assessment. I'd never done one of these. It was like a, like a career type of an assessment. Okay. And it kind of like ranks you as like, you know, what is like your number one, you know, strength career that like fits for you or whatever. And I was like 99th percentile as a social worker, like, which was hilarious. I mean, you know, like if someone needed to look for messages of what your path was yeah. going to be, you got it every direction you were in, no matter what 
no matter what facility, no matter if it was preschool or adolescence or sexual abuse, or now you're in a psychiatric, no, it doesn't matter. This is it. You were bound to, this is right. Be, your, be who you are and what you're doing. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. So it was, it was definitely like a validation that mm-hmm. I was in the right career. And I think my second was like librarian, which I thought was really sort of funny. <laughs> that was like never something that crossed my mind. I can't really imagine because I think I have a stereotype of libraries being, you know, very quiet places. Yes. And I tend to like a little bit more stimulation than that. But anyway, so yeah, so I, so definitely I came out as a very, very well equipped to be in the career that I chose. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, so, and, and it really has felt that way. I eventually became the director of a mental health facility in Kenosha. It was a very, very tough role. I, so I wasn't really doing like kind of the direct client oh, so work. At this point, I mean, certainly. You weren't, you weren't really seeing clients when you became the director. How did that feel changing correct. roles? So, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, certainly I was supporting my staff in their work with the patients uh-huh. and I would get involved in many different crisis situations. Uh-huh. For example, you know, like if we'd have a very suicidal person, I would be present yes. or, you know, we once, you know, had a situation where a patient wrote a note that they had a gun, which they didn't but they wrote the note that they did. So we had to treat it as if. So what's interesting is that in this particular hospital system, many of their directors had like MBAs. It wasn't as common for like MSWs to be in leadership roles. So I think, you know, in those, at those sites where they were MBAs, like their directors wouldn't like intervene when somebody was suicidal, but like I got, so I, Mm-hmm. So I think I probably got pulled in to more clinical situations because of my background. And I was also providing a lot of clinical supervision. And so I felt like I knew a lot of the client stories okay. from my role in doing some of that supervision. But the responsibilities were huge. I mean, I think I had like 41 direct reports. Oh, my goodness. Um, so this would be one. Yeah. Of, even so, though you still yeah. loved it. It was probably one of your more challenging times. It was, you know, and learning about like HR stuff and doing, I did all the hiring, firing discipline, you know, so certainly, you know, my social work skills were really important in the area of like figuring out who would be a good fit. Like Mm -hmm. when I'm interviewing people, like I felt like my clinical skills were super relevant to that. I think that that's what sort of gave me the confidence to say, you know what, I think I have something to offer to people who think they want to be social workers. Because one of the things that became really clear to me in this setting is that the demands of the profession, particularly in working with super intense, like mental health patients, that some people are just not really equipped to do that work. Agreed. Uh, Totally. Right. I do. And, you know, and then, and then there can be boundary violations or ethical lapses. And, you know, you just really have to have a certain grounding in yourself. And I mean, not to say that people who have had their own difficult histories cannot be effective social workers. I think some can, but that they have to, you know, do the right work and still do the, the job for the right reasons. Exactly. You know, they can't Mm -hmm. still be in it for their own healing, you know, like to rework their own difficulties, Mm -hmm. you know. 
really sort of made me start going through some difficult situations with some of my employees is what sort of prompted me to say, I kind of want to get to people at the ground level, like when they're entering the profession to say there's certain skill sets that are really important and that you should really do a lot of reflection as to whether or not this path is right for you. I totally agree. I just a personal antidote on this. I taught college myself, graduate level for about five years. And I'll never forget there was one gal and I was teaching a intro to eating disorders. And some of the answers that she would say or conversations in the, you know, during the class, I would think to myself, I cannot let her out into the world of mental health. I just can't. She's a very nice person, but she doesn't really have, you know, like you said, you have to do the work on yourself before you can be effective to help others. And like you're saying, as you're talking about your career path, you have to kind of know inside, okay, I love doing this. This was a little harder. This is what I learned. Now, what's my next path, my next part of my journey on my path of where I still feel I'm using my talents, but maybe it's a little different. And so what you're saying is, okay, now I think I can be impactful, still on purpose, on your path in right. a different way. Right. So then what happened? Yeah. So, so then I saw that there was this opening at Carthage College in Kenosha in the social work department as you know, there would be some teaching responsibilities and also as the director of their field program. Kenosha is so maybe about, about 45 minutes from you. Just, yeah, it's in Wisconsin, just in case. Yeah. You know. mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. It is in Wisconsin, kind of smack dab in between Chicago and Milwaukee. Okay. So really an interesting location. I just want to say I went to visit there and it's right on the lake. It's gorgeous, but go ahead. It's a beautiful campus. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful campus. Yes. So this position came open for the field director and professor. So there would be some teaching. I would also be, you know, helping students to find their field placements because there's a significant field component of the social work curriculum at, at the BSW level. Okay. And so I felt like this was my next step in the journey. And so, you know, I applied and it, it's, it was a pretty rigorous, when I think back, it was, I spent almost a full day on campus. I had to actually teach a class as wow. part of the interview process in even, front of, even, you know, even one of your, the other wait, social work professors. Even with your bad penmanship? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so this is so funny of that it's like, come around to this teaching thing, right? So I just did like PowerPoint slides, you know, and I was like, oh, I can teach at this level, yeah, you know, sure. so that that mm -hmm. voice wasn't in my head, you know, mm -hmm. anymore. Absolutely. So I came up with, you know, something to talk to the students about. I really had no idea, you know, what the social work curriculum was going to look like. But I came up with something that was kind of relevant, like being in the mental health field. And I sort mm -hmm. of compared like the social work perspective on mental health, like more of a medical model okay. and like why I think that like the social work perspective is kind of more humane and more mm -hmm. looks at more of like the person within their environments rather than just kind of, you know, looking at things in a, a more one dimensional way. Right. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, apparently they liked the perspective that I brought because they hired me, you know. So I've been teaching now at Carthage since 2018. Wow. Yeah. And then they wanted me to develop an elective for the social work major. Okay. And I didn't really know what to do for an elective. At first, I was thinking maybe mental health. But then the more I thought about it, 
as I thought back through my career of like, you know, everything from child protective services to, mm-hmm. you know, child and adolescent mental health to working with the homeless yes. to, you know, oh, being that sexual abuse expert. And I really thought that the thread that kind of connected everything was trauma. Ah, And so, yeah, and developed this semester course on trauma, which has really taken off. I I I mean, because we're first of all, especially after this year with COVID and what's been going on in our world and our country over the last years, we're all a little traumatized. Yes, yes. Not to mention the deeper traumas, of course. Right. And being in Kenosha, you know, what was Kenosha put on the map for, sadly, in 2020 was racial trauma mm-hmm. and and things along those lines. And and then tragically, just um, in April, there was a mass shooting right near our campus. I know. Horrible. Where, right, where a large number of our students were actually present in the bar where this mass shooting happened, like 40 Carthage students so um, witnessed that. And so you know, my skills in the area of trauma have become useful to the college in some unfortunate ways, you know, but feeling like that has given me really like a voice, Mm -hmm. you know, at the college and has really spurred a lot of opportunities Mm -hmm. for me. And many students outside of social work have become really interested in learning about trauma. Mm -hmm. I get a lot of nursing students in my class, education students, and so that's kind of like a dream come true as well. Yeah, no, it's, is, it's unbelievable. And this is what you're kind of doing. Are you seeing any clients now or not really? No, I do not see any clients. I feel completely fulfilled in Wonderful. this role, being in this role with students and, you know, having an impact on the way they start off their social work careers. Love it. Love so it. So it's right. Yeah, yeah right back from you know, kind of knowing at five years old that you wanted to have an impact and you were sensitive and because not that I'm sure you didn't help many people in your other placements, et cetera, and your other work settings, but now you're really kind of teaching other young people and you're so amazingly fantastic, you know, like what it means to be a social worker and what it takes to be in the mental health field. And that also feels like very much from what you're saying that that's part of your journey and part of your path. And Yeah, absolutely. And, and really also like moving, I mean, this might sound strange because it does still feel like social worker is such a part of my identity and Uh who I am, but also really bringing this subject of trauma to a wider audience Uh because of a recognition that social workers alone cannot do enough. And we really need the nurses and the teachers and kind of these other disciplines to kind of be part of recognizing and having that broader impact of understanding kind of the ripple effects of trauma. So, and the healing process and that it is a process and and we need as much support as we possibly can get. Yeah. And, And so kind of an irony, like a bitter irony is that half of the students in my trauma class were in the bar where the mass shooting happened. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so, yeah, so that and and so having students kind of come to me afterwards and say, like, I understood and knew what to expect. It was just it was just a very kind of crazy turn of events that really sort of validated, you know, the importance of the work and helped me to really feel that, you know, that this was 
really important stuff that we were doing. It, it, so one might say that there is a like the law of the universe was kind of placing you right where you needed to be at the right time. And your own inner voice told you that. So yeah. when you think about how have you balanced, because, you know, I know you're you know, married and two kids, how have you balanced family with the career? And, if, you know, they know what your your kids know what you do. And yeah, yeah. So that's actually really interesting. And I mean, it's there's it's definitely been a challenge at different stages, as I've mentioned, like, you know, your career affects how you parent, your parenting affects your career. And so it's always been this dynamic yeah. thing. And so what's really interesting, my oldest son, who is now 19 and actually a student at Carthage, uh-huh. he became a very strong like social justice advocate, he got really involved mm-hmm. in social justice issues after the Parkland shooting. He decided to become right. very involved in gun violence prevention. And so he kind of mm-hmm. uh, brought me along on parts of that journey as well, where mm-hmm. he was involved with March for Our Lives, which is like kind of a youth-led gun violence prevention organization. And he inspired me to start a mom demand action group in our area, which is kind of like an adult version of that. And so that was really, I love, love when the kid, love when the kid teaches the mom, it's so great. Yes. And the mom is open to it. Right. And I mean, and then again, that irony, like in a really sad way, how he and I had been doing this gun violence prevention stuff. And then it kind of hit home where there was this mass shooting, like right you know, I'll kind of, it's kind of like seared into my memory. Thankfully, my son was not on campus when the shooting occurred. He was home for the weekend and he like stormed into our bedroom at like one o'clock in the morning and said, mom, dad, you know, campus is on lockdown. There was a mass shooting. And, you know, like we just never thought that it would hit that close to home, you know? So, so yeah. So, so there is this kind of these different worlds colliding, right? Between my professional world, my son's activism, some of my Mm -hmm. own stuff that I've done, you know, not necessarily in my paid work, but that it really does intersect with trauma that like, when Mm -hmm. there's guns involved, the trauma is so magnified. So big. No, you know, it is. is. Yep. So no, it just, yeah, you're on your path in in so many ways. So if you were going to like, I don't know, just give some advice to someone is who might be struggling, like, I don't know what I want to do in my life. I don't know my path or my purposes, any thoughts on what you, you know, might say to them? Well, I mean, I, I just say, you know, listen to what people are telling you, mm-hmm. you know, so I do really think that sometimes the things that we're good at, like feel so natural that we don't necessarily associate them with something we should be paid to do. Mm-hmm. Or even feel guilty, like, you know, and as I've shared on, on several of the other podcasts is that I, I believe in abundance and I feel that when we're on our path and on our purpose, if we're doing good in the world, which you certainly are, but equally as importantly, we feel it inside our soul. Like we're on our path, we're on our purpose that we should also feel good about. Yeah. It's okay to get paid for this. We are here on earth. We do have to eat. We have to feed our families and house ourselves. So yeah. So if people are saying, Hey, you're good at this and you feel it too. Cause that's, it's right to me, it's gotta be both parts. Not just, I hear what you're saying that people, you know, say you're good at it. There has to be that other, would you agree with that? That there has to be your own little voice inside. Yeah. For me, it was a teeny bit different. Like, go ahead. It wasn't like I thought, yeah, I'm good at it. I was kind of like, doesn't everybody just do this? Ah, (laughs) Like it didn't uh even, 
you know, it didn't even feel like a skill. It just felt natural. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so, so like, it was really necessary, I think, for me to hear it reflected back Ah. to me, Mm -hmm. kind of from other people, Mm -hmm. because I didn't necessarily know that I was like doing something. If that makes sense. Of course it makes sense. But I love that because (laughs) that's the best way that you know, you're on your path and you're doing what your purpose is because it does feel natural. I mean, I feel similarly. Right. I mean, I, I sort of stumbled on mine. I don't know that anyone told me, but yeah, I think that that's a good point and a good perspective that if you are doing something and it just feels kind of like, yeah, this is what I do. Doesn't everybody have the skill? Well, one, the answer is no. Yeah. We're each unique and right. not everybody, you know, the answer is no, but each of us does have uniqueness within us. So if we can identify it right. and then, you know, work hard like you have and build on it. And you also know you're on the right track, I think, is if what you're doing, not only does it fill you up, but you're probably doing something good for the world. And so if those two things are happening, there's no way you're also not going to make money. It it just you just can do all three of those things simultaneously. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, kind of a funny story that I often tell my students is like, you know, I would be in weird situations and like people in distress would find me, (laughs) you know, like, on the bus, like the homeless person starts talking to me. Like I have, I think I just have this energy. I don't know what it is, you know? And, and yeah. So I, I totally understand because I've had similar experiences <laughs> where literally my husband says, that person just told you their whole life story. I go, I know. What can I tell you? We were just waiting in line at the restaurant and making small talk. And all of a sudden they're telling me their whole life story. So yeah, you know, and that's not true with everybody. So if you happen to have that particular gift, right? know that you can use it for a lot of good, which you have. Absolutely. So, and, and yeah, and I, so I'm able to provide that perspective to my students too. And so it's been really cool to see students early in their careers. And now I've been doing it long enough. A few of them, you know, have finished their master's degrees and have oh. stayed in touch and, you know, and, and, and to see how they've grown. So it's, it's a different type of a relationship than maybe with some clients and things like that. And I, you know, so you, you can really sort of see your impact in some different mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. But, e- but it sounds like equally rewarding. Do you see yourself yes. doing this for the foreseeable future? Yes. I, I see myself retiring. I mean, if, if Carthage will have me to, you know, do this. Well, for the considering rest of my career, I'm yes. just going to brag a little, you just got outstanding professor from Carthage. I think that they're liking you. And I think that you feel Thank you should you. feel pretty secure that your career will continue to blossom. Thank okay. you. Yes. That, on that, that was a way. big honor. Yes. So my students nominated me for distinguished professor of the year, which was, professor. okay. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So, yeah. So that was a very humbling experience to be selected for that honor this year after, you know, doing this for a relatively short period of time. So thank well, you. Um, and so, so that, that was a validation yeah, that perhaps exactly. this teaching path is where I was supposed to be the whole time, right? <laughs> exactly, so, which just speaks to, you know, that you exactly, you're doing exactly what you should be doing. Well, this was a pleasure. Uh, loved hearing your story and your purpose. So as my listeners know, I was to finish with a quote. So again, I always find it amusing. Now, my quote is not the one that you said about do what you love and it won't feel like work. But if it had been, I actually would have freaked out a little bit because- I think I am absolutely psychic, but it sort of has a similar, not exactly that, but here's, here's what I kind of picked. And as you were talking about, you kind of had this feeling at a very young age of where you 
you know, like, oh, I feel interested in other people. Okay, so here was the quote that I picked for today. The two most important days in life are the day you're born and the day you find out why by Mark Twain. So to me, Mm. at a very young age, you know, you sort of figured out, okay, why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? Not that at five or six years old, I don't know anybody that's asking themselves that deep of a question, but that to me is, is just the thread of your story from a very young age. You started knowing like, Hmm, I have this intuitive ability. I'm interested in people. And you've taken that to exactly where you are now. So good job and keep up the good work. Thank you. You You know, I've I've known Debbie since she's 15. So I've seen her grow and to the lovely, wonderful, not just professional, but all, all in all great gal that she is. So happy. Thank you, Janice. Oh, you're welcome. So happy. And you know, not that I'm saying I had that much influence, but I, I certainly am happy that when I met that De- I was already a therapist when I met you. Yes. I'm not saying I had that much impact, but nonetheless, it does my heart good that she chose that path, not because of me, but hopefully I helped a little. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, definitely. Somebody that I paid attention to as I was kind of figuring all of this out and, and seeing how, how you yes. could have an impact right. in, in areas. Yes, right. absolutely. Well, we've, we've had so. a lot of, lot of good talks over the years. So for sure. And, and we'll continue to do so. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. And to all those that are listening, thank you so much for tuning in. And this is Janice Alpert, hoping you're doing your life with purpose and on purpose. So until next time, bye bye. <laughs>